Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It should be a delight to our souls to read, to understand, to think about, to explore, to apply, to enjoy each word that you have given to us to consider and to believe and to walk by. So Father, may we take, may we take great joy and delight as we talk about today, Father, may, as we will talk about today, Father, may we take obedience to your word and wear it like a garland of grace around our heads and as a trophy around our neck, something that we enjoy and are proud of and thankful to be able to do. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start with this question, what is, what is the household? What is the household? Back in that Proverbs 24 chapter, verses 3 through 4, it says this, By wisdom a house is built. By wisdom a house is built. So what is a, what is a house? What is he referring to when he speaks of the house? Before we jump into this idea of household, uh, there's been a, a number of sermons and books and writings by a particular pastor that have had just a huge, prof just a profound impact since last June on my understanding of the Bible's teaching in the household. If you went through my marriage class uh, the past few months, we worked through a book called Reforming Marriage by a pastor named Doug Wilson. I would commend that book to you, as I did to the marriage class, but so much of his, his writings from the scriptures have, have been profound in helping me understand from the scriptures what is, what is a household. And you can see his influence all over my own life, my parenting, especially a sermon like today on that household. But he used this phrase that is not a new concept, but I think a helpful phrase in reframing a concept, if you've done any reading uh, from like Paul Tripp, Ted Tripp on parenting, the concept's not new, but the phrase, kind of a reframing of some of this concept uh, is really helpful. And that's this phrase that I heard Wilson say, teach them, meaning your kids, to love the standard. Teach them to love the the standard. I want to say that phrase a lot today. I've even used that phrase a lot in my own household. In my own journey, so you're familiar with the terms of legalism and antinomianism or grace living or supposed grace living and such. You know, just seven years or so ago, I, I read a book called The Whole Christ. I'd commend that book to you as well. That really helped me. He didn't use the phrase love the standard, but more broadly, how do we understand the law rightly and love the law rightly? In my own devotional times, I'm working through Romans, and that's where this Romans 6 passage comes from. But even in Romans 7 and 8, as I was reading this morning, that Paul's defense and understanding of the law is quite different than the modern Christian today, where we've kind of thrown the law out. We just kind of chucked it. Well, we're New Testament grace people, and we've chucked the law. And so this idea of teach them to love the standard might come as a bit of a, a, a jolt to some of us who are likely running from the standard and calling it grace living. But nevertheless, teach them to love the standard. That's one of the key building blocks in the building of a household. And that's what I'm going to try to press through is what does that look like? How do we move that forward? And that obviously teaching them to love the standard is not just teaching our kids to love the standard, but us loving the standard as well. So what is a household? Here's my definition and what I think the Proverbs are referring to here as well. But broadly speaking, the household, I would argue, is the entirety of the home, meaning your relationships and resources 
in light of the mission of God. So if you're a Christian, the household is your relationships, resources that are to be used in the mission of God. All the resources the Lord has given you under your dominion. It could be husband and his wife. It could be a single lady, a single man. All that God has given you. But at the center of all of those resources is the relationships within the household. At the very center of the relationships within the household is the relationship of the husband and the wife. And then around that being the relationships with the kids. Now, I think we should begin here as we think about household with a bit of a warning. And that is this. God actively curses the foolish family with sorrow. And God actively blesses the wise family with joy. It's just, just a warning. Just, I want the weightiness of the idea of household to settle in upon your soul. We have a passage like Proverbs 19, verse 13. It says this, A foolish son is ruin to his father. A foolish son is ruin to his father. Certainly that applies to a foolish daughter is ruin to his father or to her father. Certainly to her mother as well. Uh, listen, as now we, I think as New Testament claiming grace type Christians, we, we, this idea of God cursing and blessing like is lost on us, right? Because for many of us, well, I've got Jesus, so that means nothing but blessings for me. Well, in a sense, it doesn't mean that God's cursing that, that your redemption would be taken away, but it does mean that you will be disciplined for your foolishness. And some of that will be in your adult children someday, where you will experience God's discipline for your lack of faithful parenting, and so on. God, God actively disciplines His kids, bringing curses and blessings upon that. And listen, that, that is a blessing in and of itself. It would not be a blessing for us to wander through our foolishness with no discipline. That would not be a blessing. It would not be a blessing for you to be parenting your children in a way that is bringing about greater foolishness and for you to not watch their foolishness in front of you. That is a curse that you will experience now as they are in your house. And that's a grace to you to see their foolishness now so that you can adjust your foolishness in the way you parent them. Some of us are living in the curses of our foolishness as it pertains to the household. Some of us are living in the blessedness of wise living in our households. And some of us are just beginning to turn the ship around in various ways. But just as a warning, as we think about the weightiness of the household. So what's at stake in the household? Listen, the household is meant to be the core piece within the Lord's church that moves forward the kingdom of God. The house that the Proverbs is speaking there is at the core. A church is made up of households. The household is meant to be, in many ways, the core mechanism in which the church uses or is a part of making little followers of Jesus that go on to conquer the world, bring the rule and reign of Jesus, and usher in glad obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's at stake? As we think about building the house, what's at stake? It's not just fleeting happiness that's at stake. It's not just your child's education or success in life that's at stake. It's not just keeping them out of jail or it's not just fill in the blank. What's at stake in the household is the moving forward and expanding of the kingdom of God. That's what's at stake. That's what we get to be a part of or we get to choose to not be a part of. So how do we expand the kingdom of God via the household and think about this in terms of 
wisdom. First is this. We should fill the household with precious and pleasant riches. We should fill the household with precious and pleasant riches. Well, who is responsible to fill the household with pleasant and precious riches? The responsibility begins with dad, with husband. But listen, if you're a single, this responsibility falls on you at this point. But who is responsible ultimately? It's dad. Listen, Ephesians 5, verse 23 through 30. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And it goes on to talk about parenting and such in Ephesians 5, but what you see here is that the husbands are the head of the household. It doesn't say they should be the head of the household. This is not an imperative. It's an indicative. It's saying something that is true of the current status, something that is true of the current situation. You're the head. Not that you should be, but that you are, whether you want it or not. Listen, when something is out of place in the household, just like God with Adam in the garden, even though Eve ate first, he asks Adam, why are you hiding? What have you been doing, Adam? Or what have you not been doing? What are you going to do next? What in the world are you building now, Adam? The dad is responsible. But what about guilt? I think it's a helpful thing to distinguish between responsibility and guilt as we work through something like this. Being responsible does not mean that you are guilty of every sin underneath your roof or every sin that's in your household, but it means you take responsibility for every sin, for every failure, for every foolishness that happens. It means you ask the question, did I lead in such a way that allowed this sin to take place or that gave birth to this? And now what do I do in response to it? What do I do? How do? What adjustments do I need to make in my leadership or in my home? Responsibility and guilt are not the same thing. Listen, to put this in the context here, the immediate context, if there is a room in your household that is not filled with precious and pleasant riches, it is your responsibility to remedy the problem. You're responsible to fill the household with precious pleasant riches, particularly you fathers and husbands. Now, what are these riches? What are the riches that the Proverbs tells us about? I think broadly here, a few applications, a few points of what are these riches is, A, a godly marriage. The sweet aroma of a godly marriage between a man and a woman. A marriage that when you walk into their home, you can smell the delight of the Lord's rulership and kingdom in their home. Like you can sense it. You guys know how it is. You walk into a house, there's like freshly baked cookies. And you can just smell them as soon as you open the door. Well, the question is, is how long would it take you when you walk into to your household to find that you love and treasure God? That you submit to His rulership? That, you're, that your relationship with your spouse, that Christ is at the center? How long would that take? Not just a godly marriage, but godly kids. The pleasant riches of kids who aren't just obedient, but see obedience as a delightful thing. More on that in a bit. That's really where we're going to rest at today. Not kids who look cold and dead on the inside while they obey, and not kids who look angry and frustrated as they obey, but kids who look blessed to obey. Kids who know the sweetness of obedience. Not just a godly marriage or godly kids, but a mission. 
the precious actions of a family pushing back the darkness of this world and seeing the lordship of Jesus a reality in all parts of their life and influence. In their finances, their health, using their home to display God's glory, sharing the kingdom of God and the grace of the gospel with their neighbors. The mission of God. This is a room, there needs to be a room filled with the riches of God's mission. And we should not just think spiritual things, lest we be Gnostics, but also pleasant physical riches, like a body well cared for, finances well established, dwelling places well constructed and kept orderly, cars well maintained. Our household should be filled with these kind of riches. So what is a, a precious and pleasant rich? Like what is the precious and pleasant? Let's zero in on those. I would say this, this is riches with the aroma. So rooms filled with riches that have the aroma of joy and gladness. Perseverance and peace. The sweet smell of God's kindness and grace. The pleasing sweetness of contentment and pleasure in obedience. Each room should be filled with these kind of riches. Ultimately, the precious and pleasant riches of a house well built on wisdom and knowledge are the fruit of living obediently from the heart to God's standards. Let me repeat that again. These precious and pleasant riches are the fruit of living obediently from the heart to God's standards. Not your standards, not my standards, not our culture's standards, but God's well-defined, clearly defined standards. The wise, the knowledgeable, live obediently from the heart to God's standards. Today, we're going to zero in on the precious and present riches of faithful parenting in the building of a house. Now, just make sure if you're not a parent that you don't check out. There's certainly great application for you too. But in parenting, you and I have not reached success when we've managed to get our child's outward actions to conform to a standard. That is not success. Scowl-faced obedience is not obedience. A child who does what they're told but with frustration or annoyance in their face or even just a blank, cold face that's indifferent is not a child that has learned obedience. According to Romans 6, that's still a child that is a slave to sin. Two, so first, a scowl-faced obedience is not obedience. Two, a sentimental household is a dangerous household. Here's what I mean by that. So many of us settle for just shallow, fake sentimentalism. One where everything feels good. There's a peace in our household. It's calm. The danger is it might be calm and peaceful for the wrong reasons. Maybe your children have simply learned how to avoid getting disciplined. They don't obey out of glad-hearted obedience. Instead, they do what appears to be obedience just to avoid getting a consequence. Maybe you and I have settled for the peacefulness of simple compliance rather than a child that lovingly obeys. You see, the role of a parent is to parent their children so that they learn to love the standard. Not so that they learn how to bide their time. Not so that they do it out of fear. The law must be written on their heart and mind and they, as they learn to love the standard. They should understand that this loving the standard is motivated or birthed out of something specific. 
We would call that a loyal love. A loyal love. That this, this standard, this loving the standard is tied to the loyalty of a person's heart, of a child's heart. What is their heart loyal to? You should ask the question, what is the child committed to? So in this moment of obedience or disobedience, what are they committed to? Are they committed to being the Lord of their own lives? Is that what they're loyal to? I mean, you can see that in that little two-year-old, right? Then they're like three-year-old when they're getting to that stage where they just look at you and they go, I'm not going to obey you, mom and dad. You can just see it in their face and then they turn and run the other way when you told them to stop. What are they committed to in that moment? Yes, it's foolishness. Yes, it's childishness. But they're committed to being Lord of their own lives in that moment. That is what they're most loyal to. That is what their heart is loving most in that moment. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, Right? You're, the child is most loyal. They're, they're, what they're loving most, what they're most loyal to in that moment is themselves as Lord. Or are they committed to the Lordship of Jesus over their lives? Is that where their loyalty lies? Romans 6.18 And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. There's only two options. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. There is no in-between. And there is no freedom in the way we like to define freedom. Either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. The same thing is true for our kids. So in parenting, we've not reached success until we've managed to help our kids conform to loving the standard. Loving the standard. We want rooms in our house filled with the pleasant and precious riches of children who love the standard. So let's talk about how to fill each room with pleasant and precious riches. To the children, I want to talk to you for the next few minutes. So if you're a child, if you're still at home, I want to talk to you for a few moments. I want to give you some imperatives here. For you parents, you can take good notes here too because you'll need to remind them, I'm sure. But don't worry, kids. Your parents will be on the hook in just a few moments. See the children. The instruction of your father and mother should be treated as a garland of grace for your head. The instruction of your father and mother should be treated as a garland of grace for their head, for your head. Proverbs 1, 8-9. Listen to these words. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So, kids, this doesn't mean that you just simply do what your parents say. It means that you should see obedience to your parents as something to be proud of. Something to be proud of. As something, not as pride, but as something that's honorable. Something that's a joy and a delight to be a part of. In our culture right now, the most honorable thing is to express and do whatever your inside and your emotions are telling you to do. That's what's most honorable in our culture, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that obedience is not just teeth-gritted obedience, but is one who looks at obeying their authority with a glad-heartedness, wearing it, like doing it in such a way that you're like proud of it. That it is, it is a garland of grace around your head and a pendant for your neck. Second, a child must bind steadfast love and faithfulness around their neck. Should bind steadfast love and faithfulness.
I would add to that, you should cultivate children. You should cultivate a heart that loves keeping your parents' commandments. You have to work hard at this. Just like your mom and dad have to work hard at these things. You have to work hard at this. Proverbs 3, 1-4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will be added to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Listen, children, when you see obedience to your parents as a trophy for your head, you will bind steadfast love and faithfulness to your neck. It'll be like a necklace that you are proud to wear and show people. Hey, do you see this new pendant that I got? Isn't this cool? Or you may not even say that, but you walk around and you're like, I like this, this is cool. You ever think about obedience that way? Three, sound wisdom, children. Sound wisdom and discretion is life to the soul and grace around your neck. Sound wisdom and discretion. Proverbs 3, 21-22. He says this, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. Look at that. He says an adornment. It's a decoration, a trimming, something that, that is, you're proud of, something that you're thankful for, something that looks good. It's not something you do with your, with your teeth gritting. It's not something that you walk away going, man, I wish I could do what I want to do. Or It's not something you say, well, I, don't, I think I know better than my parents. It's something you walk away going, wow, it is a pleasure. It is a joy for me to do as my parents have instructed me. He says, children, my son. And then he says, if you seek, children, I would say this to you as well. Listen, if you seek and listen to the wisdom and discretion of your parents, he says what in the latter part of that verse? That it will be life for your soul. What's the alternative? Listen to me, children. What's the alternative? Death. Not just a different life or a different option or what might seem better for the moment. It's death. That's the contrast here. Life for your soul or death for your soul. He says, though, if you will wear it, not just do what they say, but wear it like an adornment, that it will be life for your soul. It will be a decoration for your neck. Number four, bind them to your heart, but be sure to wear them on your neck. Here's the point, uh, the, the nuance I want to draw out for you, children, again, and I've said this multiple times in different ways already. This is not limited to your heart, but an expression that should be outwardly seen. Proverbs 6, 20-22, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Listen to that. Listen to that. Put them on your neck. What's he say, children? He says, if you'll do that, that tomorrow, today, when you walk, they'll lead you. That when you lie down, here's the point there. When, When you lie down, when you are going to sleep, They will watch over you. How so? Because you will have made decisions during the day that will prove profitable at night. And when you awake, what will they do? They will talk with you. Listen, there are going to be days or days right now. But I can tell you from my own life, children, that there are days, specifically, I was thinking of days where I'm walking in the job that God's given me. 
And my grandfather, who was a pastor for many years, talks with me. You mean, well, what's he do? Like, he speaks down from heaven? No, I can hear his words. I can hear his instruction, and I can hear his wisdom. And they talk with me. They talk with me. What's the theme? The theme of these four passages is obedience, heeding, seeking, listening to your parents. You should consider that a trophy, children. Something you're proud of. Something that puts some pep in your steps. Something you like, even for others to see. What is that going on in that child? Well, it's glad-hearted obedience. It's someone who loves the standard. You won't put it around your neck if you don't love it. Especially you older kids, not yet leading your own households. Do you spend as much effort putting on the trophy of glad-hearted obedience to the Lord and to your parents as you do to the other trophies in your life? Whether that's good grades, sports achievements, Do you look to your parents for instruction, your elders for instruction, ultimately God's Word for instruction as a wonderful opportunity to express your love for them? Listen, in our world right now, what is, what is communicated to us is that our parents are clueless that dad's a baboon at worst, right? He's a, a Tim Allen home improvement dad, if you know who I'm, your parents will know who I'm talking about there. Or at worst, he's domineering and something to rid yourself of. Just follow your heart, the world says. Your parents will come around someday. Just let it all go. Or just beyond the reef. Don't pay attention to your dad, Moana. Just go beyond the reef. That's a terrible show, by the way. If you want to teach your kids to do exactly the opposite of what we're talking about here, Moana's a great one to show them. But the result, listen, the result of wearing is a blessed life, not a cursed life. Again, 622, when you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. To go to the Ephesians 6 passage, uh, following the, the Ephesians 5 we read earlier, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That it may go well with you. You put these trophies around your neck and they will lead you to a blessed life. It may not be a perfect or painless life, but a blessed life. Indeed, Romans 6.22 says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, right? So this is someone who is wearing trophies of obedience, slaves of God. The fruit you get, we're in Romans 6.22, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Where does this glad-hearted, loyal love to the standard of God lead to? It leads to eternal life. Teeth gritting obedience is not obedience and it doesn't lead to eternal life, but to death. Children, obey your parents. Heed their wisdom, even. Children, if they give you latitude to make a decision, you should seek their wisdom and heed it. They're giving you a moment to decide A or B. You should ask them, Mom and Dad, what do you think? And then you should heed their wisdom. And you should listen to them with glad-heartedness. Obedience to your parents, we see here clearly, is an honor and a glory. To quote, obedience loves being obedient. End quote. Obedience loves being obedient. 
if you don't love being obedient in your supposed obedience, then it's just Phariseeism. It's legalism. To the parents. To the parents. How does this type of obedience come about? Because you're all going, I hope as parents you're going, wow, there's no way I can make this happen. You're right. It is. It is hopeless for you upon your own strength to make this happen. But we do have a role. What's that role look like? How does this type of obedience come about? How do you get kids to see obedience as a garland of grace for them to proudly wear? For them to walk away going, yes, I get to obey my mom and dad. Some of you are going, wow, I would love for that to happen, right? Whew. Now, there's two extremes, I think, of parents, and all of us fit on the scale somewhere. Some of us are parents who have too little expectations for our children, always letting them have their way, always debating and giving in to their children, treating a five-year-old like they're a 15-year-old. Two, some of us are parents just want and are willing to settle for teeth gritting obedience and expect maybe too much. Just do as I say. That's it. Lots of different extremes. All of us fall at different places on this kind of scale. I think it's good for us to be aware of where we fall on that scale. But how does this type of obedience come about? Right, again, this obedience you want is an obedience that comes from a loyal love. Let me, let me rephrase that. You love the person in authority over you, and you love obeying their instructions. That's what we're after, that you love the person in authority, and if you love them, you will love obeying their instructions. As a side note, but hopefully helpful to us, this is how you avoid legalism in the church. Legalism is not the avoidance of laws and standards. Look carefully at the Romans passage we read earlier. 6 verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, and look at these words, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Do you see that? You've become slaves of righteousness. And what's that look like? First of all, there's a standard. There's a clear standard. The standard Paul's talking about here is God's law. There's a standard. But then the second part, what is it? It's obedience from the heart. It's a heart that loves being obedient. It's a heart that loves the standard. If you love the Lord, you will love being obedient to Him as Lord. Now, the big question we have to ask, though, is where does that love for the Lord and love for the standard subsequently come from? 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. You and I cannot conjure up this love for God ourselves. God has to reveal His love to us first. What do we see in that passage? God is the one who takes the initiative. God takes the initiative to love His people, then we love Him in response. But loving Him means loving Him, His authority, and obeying His authority. But what I want you to see is that God took the initiative. We're simply responding to His gracious love to us. First John tells us later that He proved His love for us by sending Jesus to die for our sins. That's how He proved His love for us. But God takes the initiative to bring about this love in us. Because God first loved us, we then increasingly love to obey Him. Or as Paul calls it, slaves to righteousness. Loyal love to the Father. 
So first, parents, if we want this kind of obedience, what is true obedience from our kids, parents have to learn to take the initiative to love their children. And many of us say, well, well, duh. Well, duh. You're probably not defining it the right way. What I don't mean is sentimental love, gushy feelings, warm fuzzies, sentimentalism that's shallow. That's how many of us parent. And that's why some of our kids are terrible. We have to love them with an efficacious love. With an efficacious love. A love that does God's defined best for them. Let me say that again. A love that does God's defined best for them. Not what you think is best or the child thinks is best and certainly not what our crazy culture thinks is best. A love that aims them toward loving the standard. Loving them in a way that awakens them to want to love and identify with things like God's standards, our family standards, our worldview in our house, our outlook on life, those standards of our home. Loving them in a way that awakens them to that. If we want our children, hear me parents, to love us and wear their obedience around their necks, then we must show them how it's worn. Do you hear me? You must show them how that's worn. Parents must wear obedience around their necks like a garland of grace. My fear for many of us is that we're going to chalk up the lack of loyal love and obedience from our children to a phrase akin to, well, I guess God just hasn't changed their hearts yet. When in reality, the reason they don't truly behave is that they never learned how to wear obedience from you. Or they haven't yet. Your children don't naturally know how to wear obedience as a garland of grace. They have to see you do it. If we don't wear it, why should they? So how do we wear obedience? There's multiple ways that are sure ways. We wear it by submitting to the Scriptures. We wear it by submitting to the Scriptures. How do you do that? You seek the Scriptures. Talk about them with your kids. Uh, yes, in formal type settings where you're, hey guys, I'm going to instruct you in the Bible. Those are good and you need to do those too. But this is probably even more profoundly is going to happen during casual mundane conversations where you're talking about the Word with your kid and you're showing them your delight in the Word with your kids. Where you're showing them what it looks like to repent when you don't follow God's words. Where you say, hey, guys, I learned this in my Bible last week. And now I'm living this way in my life. You wear it by submitting to your elders. Following their guidance. Submitting to their accountability, and so on. Parents, you wear it by honoring your own parents. Listen, parents, if they don't see you wearing that garland of grace around your neck, they won't wear it either. At least the chances are much less likely. If they don't see from mom and dad glad-hearted, joyful, loyal, loving obedience, then they won't know how to wear it. They need to see you seek it, see you talk about it, see you proud to be walking in obedience, that it's not a drudgery. It's not just duty. They need to see you excited that you get to follow instruction and, and heed wisdom and learn knowledge in the way of the Lord. How often, parents, do you talk around the dinner table about following the Scriptures? 
Again, I read this the other day, and here's how awesome it is to be walking in new obedience today. How often do you tell your kids about some wisdom that your elders gave you that you're proud to walk by? How often do you talk about even your own household rules or the household rules of your church and how glad you are to follow those? Here's an example. Household rule of your church, like getting to church before service starts. Now, I wasn't looking, so if you came in late today, then that's on you. But uh, That's a household rule of this church, if you did not know that. Do you wear that like a garland of grace around your head for your kids to see? If not, then why do you expect your kids to obey you on time? You and I must wear obedience like a trophy of grace, like an adornment to our neck and to our heads. Next, parents must set the right standards. Parents must set the right standards. Now, let me give an important qualification. There are God's standards. You can't change those, mom and dad, okay? Make sure we're on the same page. You can't change those. And they must be at the top of your list. If your kid likes to lie, you can't lower that standard. Okay? That's God's standard. But as parents, you get to set other standards in your home. And because the Bible tells them to obey, they have to obey your household standards. Since we're talking about wisdom and standards here, parents... You really need to consider where the combination of your action or inaction with their action or inaction leads to when that plan leads to full bloom. Like what if the child is doing this or not doing this and you're responding in a way that either affirms that or does not affirm that, where does that lead? You need to think about that. Those are standards you're setting for your kid, and they, those will come to full bloom. So you teach them by your inaction that a particular action is acceptable. When it's not acceptable, then they will grow up to believe that that's acceptable, and it will only get worse. A problem I've noticed pastorally is that some of us care more about our standards while letting God's standards go by the wayside with our kids. Some examples, like with teenagers. A family won't dare miss sports ball practice. Uh, that's Rusty said sports ball. I should give him credit for that. But gathering with the saints, eh, we can flex there. Or how about for little kids? Again, God's standards, not caring that much about his, more about our standards. You won't miss nap time or your bed regimen that you got going, your household standard. But you don't expect your children to obey you the first time. That would be God's standard, the first time. Some of us need to raise our standards. Listen, it, it, we can lower the standards in our house so low as to not even give our children opportunities to teach them to love the standard. Some of us expect so little from our kids. Listen, little kids have been given great minds. Treat them like it and expect more from them. For some of us, we may need to lower the standards. Again, not God's standards, but your household standards. Things like how clean he or she keeps his room or how neat their hair is. When they leave the house, you can tell where our household standard is on that one. So, I mean, a couple of my kids really take are proud of their hair, but or how much screen time they have. Right? These are standards that you get to set as parents, and your kids are required to obey you. But if you have these standards are so high that you've made in your household 
that your, it's your kids are just gritting their teeth when they walk away in obedience, you might need to lower that standard. You might need to lower it so that you can help them get on board with loving the standard and then slowly raise the standard for them. It doesn't, it, you can get them to comply to your law. I'm sure you can make that happen. Just enough spankings and groundings and stuff, and you can get them to comply. But if they comply for 18 years and then fly off the handle in year 19 because they left your house, then all of that parenting was not very helpful. So some of us might need to lower the standard. I, and in, and you know, I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but we have to bring our kids along to gladly embrace the standards. Lower the standard where everyone can gladly participate. Then as time moves along, up the standard. I'm regularly having a conversation with my kids where I'm saying, all right, buddy, now you've reached this age, now we're going to expect this of you. This is the new standard. Which brings me to my next point. Parents must communicate the standard. I don't know if you know that or not, but you should tell them what the standard is. And you should be clear. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 7, 1, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. There has to be a law for them to follow. They need to know God's standard first and foremost, and they need to know your household standards. There are four sets of standards in our world as God has ordained it. God's laws, household laws, civil laws, and personal laws, personal conscience, if you will. Here, I'm talking specifically about God's laws and household laws. God's laws, don't murder, don't steal, so on and so forth. Household laws, like brush your teeth X amount of times a day, do chores, uh, and don't forget to floss. Um, my wife would want that caveat in there. Uh, do, do chores, A, B, and C, or D, E, F, you know, you know, and so on, or do your hair. Those are household laws. You need to make both of these sets of standards clear for your kids. I would also encourage you to command them, not just suggest them. They're not really an option. When you ask a four-year-old to go do something, you're creating in them this expectation that I have a choice when they don't really have a choice. Now, I don't mean walk around like a drill sergeant and being a jerk and... What I mean is that your instruction is saying, child, please go do A. And don't debate with your kids. There's no debate. Don't plead with your kids. There's no debate. God does not make suggestions to us. He makes commands of us. And the sooner our kids learn that, the better they will be established to heeding and listening and seeking wisdom the rest of their lives. Command. Again, I don't mean you walk around like a drill sergeant with a whistle, although some of you might need to start using a whistle. But you... Child, this is the expectation. Be clear. Next. Parents must embrace, must enforce, rather, the standard. You must enforce the standard and this, this is where a lot of us struggle so much, right? Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Do you see that? But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof give wisdom. If you want your child to grow up a fool, then spare them the rod. I don't think the, the rod or spanking is an option. Spare them the rod and you will raise a fool. But here's the thing. I was at the pool uh, yesterday and I was watching someone parent, you know, and thinking in light of this sermon. So they're not here today. Um, so, you know, they might listen to this podcast. But um, they, uh, 
they, they, they told their child not to do something, and it was something that could have been left, the child could have been left to do. They just didn't want them to do it, which is fine. But then they proceeded to not enforce what they said. So I'm sitting there thinking, man, you've been better off just keep your mouth shut. Just let them do it. Like, because now you created a really bad scenario. Now what you did was you told Johnny that rules and what you say don't really matter. So if you're not going to enforce it, then just keep your mouth shut. What your child learns is that they have a whole bunch of laws, but no one really cares whether or not they really keep them. Or they don't care if you really keep them until your parents reach a level 10 in their anger. Then it really matters. Which I would say also, don't count. Parents, don't count. I don't think counting is a, a parental preference matter or a matter of conscience. The Scriptures tell us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if you want your kids to believe you don't really mean it until you get to three, then count away. If you want them to believe that when you say yes, you mean yes, then don't count. Parents must enforce the standards. Next, parents must embrace, just kind of to wrap this back up, parents must embrace their God-given responsibility to help their children love the standard. Mom and Dad, you must embrace. To quote someone, this type of obedience is contagious. So if your kids are not catching the disease, that means you're not carrying the disease. If your discipline, uh, that's the end of the quote going on. If your discipline of your kids is not done with a garland of glad obedience around your neck to your father and to your mother, and it's just done with anger and frustration and annoyance, then you are teaching your kids that disobedience is okay. Let me flesh this out. When you go to discipline your kids, if the discipline, I'm talking spanking or instruction or all those things, you're going to instruct them, you're going to discipline them. It's really easy in that moment to do it with anger and frustration or annoyance or inconvenience. If you discipline them with anything other than glad-hearted obedience to God, then you're teaching them by your disobedience that they can be disobedient. Now let me caveat this, because this is crucial. It doesn't mean that mom and dad are never angry at the sin. It doesn't mean that they don't ever raise their voice a bit. It doesn't mean that they don't ever speak with firmness to their kids. It doesn't mean they don't say, Stop! Don't run in the road! That doesn't mean those things. Listen, you can be firm. You can even be angry at the sin and still walk in glad-hearted obedience to the Father as you issue discipline to your kids. But if they don't recognize, if, they don't, if you don't help them see that you're obeying them, or that you're, that you're obeying the Father in your loyal love to the Father, as you discipline them, you are modeling the exact opposite of what you're hoping for them, and that is glad-hearted obedience. A loving the standard. Because what you're saying is you're saying, here's what's happening. You're saying, what, here's what they're going to communicate. All right, so they just messed up. They just sinned. You're coming to discipline them, and you're doing it with frustration and anger. What you're communicating to your child is my, is my God has commanded me to discipline you, but I don't want to do it right now. I'm upset with you, God. I don't like your standard, but I'm going to go deal with my kid anyways. And then we wonder why they walk away gritting their teeth when we ask them to obey us. Teaching our kids disobedience. But listen, you can have a firm voice. There can be anger towards the sin. You can express that there's brokenness between us. 
but that needs to be flowing from a, a loyal love to the Father, a glad-hearted obedience to Him. Child, I'm disciplining you because I love the Lord. And because I love the Lord, I love you. And I want you to obey. Fathers, you want your family to be in love with God together. With the Word of God together. In love with the house rules you've set together. The worldview that you're teaching them from the Scriptures together. That's what you're after. Now, you're probably saying, at least I hope you're saying, how in the world, right? That's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot for us to do. I don't know if I can do it. I was reminded of this someone else. This requires you and I to come and die. It requires you and I to come and die. Jesus, with glad-hearted obedience, did what the Father asked Him to do, considering it the joy set before Him, all the way to His death. Jesus put on the garland of grace that was glad obedience. He wore it. He even expressed it explicitly, right? For the joy set before me, Jesus says. What if you did that to your kids? For the joy set before me, I'm going to give you a spanking. I mean, they probably look at you like you were crazy. and probably should. But for the joy set before me, I'm going to instruct you, my child. To put that garland of grace, that is glad obedience, you might have to die to your pride, to your convenience desires, to your plans, to your preferences, to your own standards and expectations of your family. You might have to die to your sentimental view of your family. You might have to put these things down, but you can't just die to these things. You have to die in Christ. You have to. You have to take your failures, your successes, the things that you've wanted more than, than what God wants, and die in Christ, saying, Lord, forgive me. To present yourself to Christ. Die to yourself and say, Lord, what would you have me do next? Then go to the Word, read, look for it, listen for it, and do it. And when you die in Jesus' name and you let go of your own standards and you learn how to love His standard in the presence of your kids, you will teach them to love the standard. You are wearing obedience to your Father in heaven like a gold medal that you just won at the Olympics. That you should do. What, what Olymp Olympian takes their gold medal and just hides it? They, they wear it. They put it on a display. They're proud of it. There's a measure at which that, that's not just acceptable for a Christian, but is honorable for a Christian. We're not talking about a child or us Wearing our obedience in a way that says, look at me, I've made my way to God. That's not what we mean by love the standard. Because you've got to ask the question, what's so special about the standard? Listen, the standard, the law, if we're speaking specifically of God's law, is the expression of the character and desires of the one whom gave the law. The one whom Paul says we are now married to if you're a follower of Jesus. So when now, what happens is now we use the law 
as a standard to please the one who saved us. To live faithfully unto him as an expression of our love for him. That's why we're so proud to wear obedience to the standard. Why? Because we're wearing the character and the desires of our Savior. He loved me by, and showed it by dying for me. Now let me love him. How does that loving look? It looks like loyal obedience. We should want the same thing from our kids, that they obey us out of a loyal love for their parents and ultimately for God. Listen, right now is the easiest place for them to learn this. It's in your household. It will not get easier when they get to college or trade school or into a career. It will not get easier. And the last thing I'll say is this. When you build this type of household, a house with rooms filled with precious and pleasant riches, a household like this is one of the most potent and powerful tools in the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? That's what you get to build. One of the most powerful things on this earth. A household full of people who love the standard, who obey the Lord and subsequently obey the household rules is a house full of those who are following the Lord. A house full of true followers will change the world for the glory of God. Build this type of household. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to parent little souls, to love the standard. And not just a standard, but a standard that is an expression of the character and the desires of our God. Father, I pray that as we steward the children you've given us, we steward the households you've given us, that you would continue to give us the grace that we need to do this. And Father, let us not forget that we love you not of our own accord, but because you first loved us. That we get to love the standard because you first loved us. And the same thing is true for our kids. They will get to love the standard as they know and see God's defined love for them through their parents. So Father, I thank you for the opportunity to do this. For we would not be able to if it was not for the gospel of your son Jesus laying down His life to show and demonstrate His love for us through the atonement of our sin and the righteousness that He's given us. Father, we ask for Your grace. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.